This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Peter Tomasi. Hi, this is James Hyman IV. Hi, I'm Dan Jurgens. Hey, I'm Duff Wood. This is Jim Lee. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Mark Hamill speaking. This is Kevin Conroy. This is Tim Sale. Hello, everyone. I'm Batman, and you're listening to my podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, Season 12, Episode 20. This is Ian. This is Steph. And this is Steele. Today, we just have one comic, but it's 144 pages. Detective Comics 1027, the second 1,000th anniversary issue. After Detective Comics 1000 was the anniversary of the first issue, this is the 1,000th anniversary of the first issue starring Batman. So, of course, DC decided to go even more um, special. So instead of 100 pages, it's 144. 12 stories instead of 10. And... It's an, an extravagant issue, and we're very excited to bring it to you. Uh, before we get started, uh, I did want to have a quick intro. What comic, one comic, do you, Mike, fellow co-hosts, recommend for our readers this week? I finally got caught up on all of the Joker War tie-ins, and I think my favorite of them was uh, Batgirl 48. There was a little bit of drama <laughs> But they reintroduce Gordon, who I guess isn't sick anymore, and that's good. And her brother uh, comes back and tries to convince that he's fine. And that part was, I don't know, not my favorite, but whatever. It's it's her family back and irritating her, which is what family should be doing. Uh, but then Luke comes, and they're definitely trying to reintroduce Luke into the uh, Batverse. And it's just so sweet. And he he's... You know, I guess they, they used to date, but now he's just uh, a still a really good friend and willing to help her. And it was just really cool to see that. And then it it ended a little weird. But I very much enjoyed most of the issue, and I recommend that one. Uh, for me, it was actually Nightwing 74, uh, where we see the uh, death of Rick Grayson, and we see the... Uber Rick is return. finally gone. And Dickie Boy is finally gone. Yeah, we see the return of, of Richard Dick Grayson, and, you know, so that nightmare is finally over. It was a good issue in that, you know, it does leave some questions out there uh, that will still need to be answered, so we, we, we do know that you know, while, while B is thinking everything is over, uh, Dick is looking for, her. you know, he, 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 he remembers her, he knows who she is. And so, uh, we shall see what goes on with that relationship because I, I actually like the character. Uh, I think, I think B is a good character. 
Now, is she a Barbara Gordon? Of course not, but I want to see where they go with it now that uh, Dick Grayson has returned and if uh, the relationship is to end, how is how are they going to end it? And for me, I'm going to rec- recommend another tie-in, which is this week's Catwoman number 25. It's the first issue of Ram V and Fernando Blanco's new run. It's an anniversary issue, so it's extra size, but it's actually value for money because it's a lot more pages, even though it's a, a larger price. So definitely recommend the tie-in. It actually ties into Batman number 99 really tightly and references Batgirl, the issue that uh, Steph recommended as well. So it's great for continuity, and it's also a good story in itself. Yeah, if, 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 if there's one thing that I can say, and I know when, you know, if you listen to our Patreon cast and some of the other uh, previous episodes where we discuss some of the some of the tie-ins, you know, we, we really harped on how bad they weren't really tying together. But, you know, I, I have no problem eating some crow right now to say after these last few issues, particularly between Batgirl and and Catwoman, uh, where we see uh, Selena and, and Luke and, and Babs, you know, all play this role uh, with what's going on. You know, it, 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 I'm eating crow and a little humble pie right now. So good job on tying those, those, some of those loose ends up. I will say the issue that was the most honest about how they reconnect everything was, uh, it was my least favorite, but was uh, Red Hood, where the top of the first page would be the continuation of where the story had been previously. But since the continuation of the Batman story has nothing to do with that. They like show that the page has been ripped out and then a brand new story continues for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> it was great. And I was like, yes, that is how they're doing it. They're just forgetting that the previous issue ever happened. And now they're just continuing on a new story. So it fits in with Batman. And I thought at least, at least Red Hood was being honest about it. That's rough though. Whoever's on editorial there was really <laughs> asleep at the wheel. <laughs> All right, so uh, we have a few uh, pieces of news that I want to cover before we get to our review. Uh, December solicitations came out, and before that we had some big announcements that were confirmed in solicitations. Batman Black and White, the anthology series of all black and white artist and creator focused, so it's not continuity, it's just these short stories that really hone in on cool things or cool storytelling or cool art. That's coming back as a six-issue miniseries starting in December. All the usual suspects you would expect, so Tom King, Brian Bendis, James Tynan IV, Scott Snyder, they're all signed up. But you also have an unusual thing in J.H. Williams III, who swore he'd never work at DC again. He has come back to work at DC to write a Batman story, and I believe draw it as well. He's also doing some covers. What do you think about Black and White coming back? I truly enjoyed Black and White, uh, whether you know, you're know you reading it in the back pages of uh, Streets of Gotham. What, Streets of Gotham or Gotham Knights? I can't remember. Um, I think it was Gotham Knights. I think it was Gotham Knights. But then, uh, you know, they also end up putting it out in trades. Uh, they were also the other, uh, the first volume of Black and White, uh, which was also a six-issue six series. So, But I definitely enjoyed it. And one of the things that I appreciated, uh, particularly about the first volume was how uh it, it it allowed you to see other creators 
have their takes on Batman. I remember Bendis, he did a story for Black and White as well. Uh, so I know we, we got a lot of the usual suspects, but I'm hoping that by the time all is said and done, we see some new takes on Batman uh, in Black and White. I think it's exciting as well. I like these kinds of anthology things, and I hope that it's a, a decent page count because it is uh, sort of a prestige thing, so having more value for what you're what you're paying would be nice. And that's generally what I want because I, I am not happy with $4.20 page comics. Even though I'm enjoying some of them, I think that's bad business practice by DC. We also have announcements that what used to be part of the 5G initiative has been transmuted into a series of one-shots called Generations, the first of which is coming out in December as well. All these are coming out in December. And this is by Dan Jurgens and Robert Venditti, and I think someone else, maybe Josh Williamson. It'll be an oversized one-shot um, that I think leads to other one-shots, but it's not a series per se. Uh, and this will feature the original Batman from the 1940s, who, you know, everyone knows he, he kills, he uses guns, so he's got these interesting things that Batman today doesn't do. So what do we think about the transmutation of 5G in Generations? I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Again, we're not going to be getting the full 5G experience. Uh, but, you know, as we get through... The reviews this evening, we 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 will get a a little taste. I'm 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 very excited to see where things go with it, uh, and the fact that you know we're going to be getting some interesting characters uh, that will be a part of this by the time it's all said and done. I think the creative team of Jurgens and Venditti and some good artists are exciting. Um, I'm not super big fan of this kind of sort of time-hopping story, but it could be good. Venditti's done a great job with Hawkman in a time-hopping story, so I, I could definitely see it working. I just, um, it's not my personal cup of tea as a concept, but the execution could win me over. Lastly, <laughs> Batman Catwoman has finally yeah! been announced to start in December. It'll be a 12-issue miniseries with a break in the middle for a Batman Catwoman special in the middle. Uh, Tom King, Clay Mann, um, doing together. It'll be Black Label, which probably means it's not precisely in continuity, but I'm sure Tom King will make it in continuity with his Batman run, even if it's not in continuity with the regular ongoing Batman title. What do we think? It's finally coming. We finally have a start date. It's Christmas! Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever. <laughs> it's so exciting! December is a good month. I really hope they don't delay it. Oh, oh gosh. But um, I'm excited, and I'm still a little nervous about the Phantasm being the baddie, but who knows? Maybe they'll completely reinvent what the Phantasm was, and it won't be some weird ex-girlfriend of Bruce's. But, um, yeah, it's going to be good. I did find someone on Tumblr just going bat cat bat cat bat cat and then someone's like oh you spoiled the first eight pages of dialogue for the <laughs> which was a little mean making fun of tom king but uh is probably true um i mean i i am a big fan of tom <laughs> king but i think he did overdo the bat cats in the first several <laughs> uh arcs of his batman run i think he pulled and it back by the end but it was a I, lot to take it was but uh i'm i just 
I don't even want to. I'm I'm trying my hardest not to even envision what it could be. I am not thinking about weddings or or babies or or happy ever afters or tragically dramatic ever afters. I'm trying not to have any expectations so I can only be excited and not disappointed. Well, there is a story in the particular issue we're reviewing today that will connect to Batcat, so you're going to have to think a little bit about it. I hope not because her hair was awful, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> Well, I am going to withhold my excitement until I know it's printed, <laughs> and I know that uh, I get a totally fair from DCBS saying, uh, "Yeah, your order has shipped," uh, <laughs> because you know this is not the first time that we've gotten dates for Batcat, only to find them uh, for one reason or another being delayed. So. Excited? Yeah. Ask me when I have the issue in my warm, living hands, mm-hmm. or my uh, tablet screen. I'll be satisfied with that. I myself am very excited. I'm also nervous because I-, I want this to be good, and his Batman was so good for me that I'm worried that I'll build it up too much um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in my head. But. Clayman's art still looks spectacular. We also got a variant cover by Travis Cherist and Jim Lee. So those were really cool too. But I, I have to say, I'm getting the, the Clayman cover. Uh, this was announced way back in May of last year. So it's going to be almost, it's definitely a year and seven months by the time we get the book from when it was announced. So this is, it's a long time to wait. But I am I'm much happier to wait this long and get the book you know, on a monthly schedule than, you know, what happened with Doomsday Clock. So, yeah. yeah, I am I am happy and OK with waiting this long, knowing that there won't be any off months with different artists coming in. Well, there, so there is the, the um, there's the special, the special, the special is something different. But knowing that the, the main series is just going to be Clay Man. I'm okay with waiting on that, you know, much like, much like, uh, three jokers, you know, having, having to where the book is done. Jason Fabok has done the art. I'm good with that. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with waiting, knowing that we won't be having, you know, multiple artists, uh, on the book that will, you know, that have the ability to take away from, from the story. Yep, I, I agree. With all the news and our introductions out of the way, let's get to Detective Comics number 1027. <music> Steph, take us away on our first story. Story number one, Blowback by Peter J. Tomasi and artist Brad Walker. Batman hangs upside down, tied up in a tank of water. As he begins to internally lose consciousness, he thinks over the events that led to his current predicament. Sounds, environment, smells, and possible characteristics of his assailant. He begins to think of his many battles with members of his rogues gallery. As each villain flashes in Batman's mind, he thinks about how the characteristics and tactics of each of them help mold who he is. 
He continues to go villain by villain until, eventually, he slows his heart enough that he appears to die. Dying is the state the Batman wants to reach, as doing so causes his death trap to shut down, releasing him from certain actual death. Someone is on the phone, claiming to have completed the job. He is paid a quick visit by Batman, who questions his whereabouts over the past 24 hours. The individual, known as Balsam, claims to have been home the entire time, talking to his divorce attorney. Batman remembers seeing a hand with an obvious sign of a missing ring on the ring finger. As Batman prepares to leave, Balsam sneezes. Batman heard a sneeze as he was trapped in the tank of water. Batman has caught his man. So, what are our thoughts on blowback? This was one of my least favorites. I was a little sad that this was the opener for for this whole issue. Because, I mean... It was just an excuse to parade all the villains. And then in the end, the villain was someone we had never heard of before and wasn't someone that he was thinking about. I don't know. Like, the detective work was cool. We don't get to see thinking smart detective Batman very much, but I did not like this one as much as some of the others. Yeah, for me, the detective work is probably the reason why I enjoyed the story. You know, we 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 don't see that a lot. Even even with Tomasi's current run, we don't see a lot of Bruce as you know the world's greatest detective. So seeing that we we had these pages where he's actually in that role, uh, identifying you know distinctive sounds and characteristics characteristics so that you know he could then at the end find you know the villain um i enjoyed that the one thing that well one of the few things that was weird was as steph mentioned having the assailant be someone that we absolutely have no clue of who this person is um that was weird what I really found weird was the fact that we have the creative team that's on the current run actually doing a story in the spectacular that has zero to do with either what's going on in the actual title or even in Batman itself. So, you know, that felt a little weird. You know, I don't know if, 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 you know, they're going to announce a new creative team at some point in time. And, and, and they were just, you know, giving them a story to give a story. But, you know, I was, I was expecting, you know, as we got the announcement that we were going to have this huge 100 and almost 150 pages uh, worth of comics that Tomasi and Walker would have gotten a story that would have been tied to what's going on in Detective or what we were going to be getting in Detective. Mm -hmm. And we didn't necessarily get that. Unless, unless, and I, I will put this out there, unless the the guy on the other end of the phone is the person who ends up being the mirror, who, of course, is supposed to be the villain in Detective coming up in the next few issues. 
Because this guy really seemed more of a handyman because he says, didn't he say he was an electrical engineer? Like, it seems like he designed the death trap. He might not actually be the baddie. He, he, yeah, he, he didn't see. He, he definitely was not a criminal mastermind, but it just did not feel it. Just like I say, unless unless we, we get more down the line, it just did not seem to have anything to do mm-hmm. whatsoever with what's currently going on in Detective, including what we've seen and solicits with regards to what's going to happen in Detective. Without, again, I've, I've already eaten so, some crow. I don't mind Mm-mm-mm. eating it again. So, I've been down on Tomasi's um, anniversary story since action number 1000. I don't like the way he chooses to write them, which is mostly as montages rather than stories. So this was actually an improvement for me because it does have a plot and he has that confrontation and Batman actually takes an action, which is he, he uh, does that thing where he suppresses his vital signs, which is a classic superhero slash super detective. I mean, Sherlock Holmes did this kind of thing too um, in fanfic, usually not in actual canon but it's it's the kind of thing that sherlock holmes is known for doing so i actually really liked that part of it i didn't like all the villain splashes because he did the exact same thing for his detective comics 1000 page uh story Mm -hmm. and so that was disappointing to me uh brad walker does good work i'm just not it makes me feel weird the way he draws batman i don't know what it is but the way the eyes he he shapes the cowl around the eyes just makes me feel kind of weird um, so this is an improvement. Yeah, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say the same thing. You know, it, it, Brad Walker, and I like Brad Walker now, but he definitely had to grow on me. Yeah, I mean, I actually really like Brad Walker on uh, on Aquaman. I thought he was fantastic. It's just, his Batman, it hasn't grown on me quite yet, you know? So, yeah, I think this is an improvement on his Tech 1000, but it kind of does the same thing, so it's still a little disappointing to me. Moving on to... Story two, The Masterclass, written by Brian Bendis and drawn by David Marquez. Batman and several members of the Bat family meet up on the rooftop of the Ape Aparo building to examine the body of a dead cop. Batman uses the opportunity as a training exercise for his young cohorts. After some investigation into the cop's history and the building's surroundings, the Bat family find themselves face-to-face with the deceased's ex-wife, who was hastily trying to load a suitcase into her car. She claims that the now-dead cop was trying to blackmail her, and her new boyfriend want to talk sense into him. The new beau, Waylon Jones, a.k.a. Killer Croc, immediately jumps to his partner's defense. After a brief tussle, the Bat family takes Jones out, and as both assailants are taken away, Batman tells the team how good they are as detectives. So, just looking at Theo's review, I know we're going to have some interesting discussion. What do you think of the Masterclass? I thought it was kind of cute. I mean, obviously, there's the kind of half of the issue, or a third of the issue, is them discussing why are we here, and they never really kind of answer that. I don't know, it was a little weird. But it was cute, and I like seeing them all together uh, being detectives. There wasn't a lot of banter or kind of family discussion because, like you said, it is—it's a class. It's a teachable moment, so they're—they're they're learning, they're detecting. Uh, I thought it was cute. One thing I liked about all these stories really was none of them were a middle end conclusion kind of story. They seemed more 
a day in a life or a moment in the life of Batman. So this one, again, it's not a story story, but none of them really are. And so I just liked this little moment of dad teaching the kids and finding another crooked cop shock. <laughs> um, it was cute. The art was beautiful. The art was the only thing that I liked. Everything else with regards to the the plot and the story itself, I just, I don't know. I have this bias against Brian Michael Bendis, and everybody who knows me knows this. So already going in, I'm feeling down on this story. But in these few pages that we that we that we get for Masterclass, there is enough dialogue and banter that could probably cover a full regular issue. There are some panels in this story where you can barely see the art because there's just so much dialogue. I don't understand why Bendis continues to do this, why he feel he needs to do this. Just tell a simple story. What's wrong with telling a simple story? I, I I don't like it. I knew I wasn't going to like it, and I knew we were going to get typical Bendis, and it, that's exactly what we got. You know, a story where, you know, just tell a nice, quick story. Cop dead. Here's why he's dead. Here's the, here's the assailants. They've been captured in the story. The end. But we get all of this other stuff that just makes absolutely no sense. And again, it's not even answered. Well, why are we here? Why are we here? I don't know. Yeah. Is this is, is this your body? No, is this your body? <laughs> what? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I, I don't like it. I, I Again, part of it is absolutely because I, I am not a fan of Bendis. I have not been a fan of Bendis for a very long time. Uh, and this story only solidifies that dislike. It was not a good story. I think this one really depends on your tolerance or enjoyment of certain writing choices. I I will admit that Bendis does have things that are very obviously what he does. He uses a lot of dialogue, long speeches... The voices tend to sound very much the same. They're quippy, very much like a TV show, especially a Joss Whedon TV show. And um, I mean, it's just very recognizable. I tend to like those things. Um, I do dislike several of the choices he's he's made as a storyteller. So I, I've gone. I don't know if I've actually mentioned this here because it's Marvel, but I, I hate Secret Invasion for similar reasons that people hate what he's done with Superman is just he, he took something that I was enjoying and he, he twisted it or took it away. So it's no longer a tool for any other writer to use. So I, I definitely understand why people have soured against Bendis. Um, I have not. Um, that's not to say I think everything he's done at DC has been amazing. I think it's mostly been kind of fun at best, not nothing masterful, but fun. And I, I enjoy fun comics. This to me feels like, a classic detective mentor Batman. And I really like seeing Batman 
not being a jerk to his family. This is Batman, you know, encouraging his family, giving them a test. Uh, some people have said, well, why is Batman making a game out of murder? I'm like, well, the guy's still dead. And this is the best way to find him. It's, it's not like Batman's letting someone get away by training the Bat family. Um, so I, I really think it depends on, you know, your history with Bendis, your your tolerance for the way he does things and stuff. I like most of the things he does. I like a quick patter of dialogue. Um, I think that he, he does a really nice job of highlighting different little moments of relationship between the characters. And it's really nice to see a lot of the characters used. Um, it's kind of weird, some of the characters that aren't used, but I, I'm, I don't know how much of that is personal choice and how much of that is editorial dictate. So I'll just say it's kind of weird. Uh, I was glad to see the characters I did see. I think timeline-wise, I wanted to make a note that we see Batgirl wearing her Burnside costume. And Tim is going by Red Robin. And it seems to me that he's wearing his old um, Rebirth suit. However, Steph is wearing her her full face hood, which only happens after Tim, quote unquote, dies at the end of Detective Comics 40. So it's a little tricky to place where this happens. Although, no, I mean, Batgirl got her new costume after Tynan's detective run. So this could actually happen after the end of Tynan's detective run. Or sometime around there. Um, there's, there's, there's no, there's no Cass and uh, Duke either. Right. I mean, and so, so that's why I was like confused about the omissions. So, but I, I thought it was fun. I mean, these these anthologies are often sort of semi out of continuity. They're sort of touching on continuity, but you can't really fit them in precisely. So I sort of approached it that way. But I thought it was interesting the little notes that you could try to make it fit in some parts of continuity. All right, let's move on to story number three. Many Happy Returns, written by Matt Fraction, art by Chip Zdowski. Batman has a Batman problem that starts with a capital J. Each month, every month since year one, the Joker leaves a birthday present for Batman. One month is a dead god. Another month is kidnapped kids on a joyride in a school bus. Another month, its teammates being sent to their watery depths if not depths if not for the Batman's intervention. Without fail, a present arrives. This month, however, there's a problem. It's the last day of the month, and the Joker hasn't sent Batman his birthday present. As time ticks away, both Batman and Commissioner Gordon brace for what could be coming. They know something is coming. Suddenly, they receive word. The Joker has been spotted. He stands in the middle of an empty street, waiting for Batman to arrive. Batman swoops in and begins beating on the Joker, demanding to know what it is. The Joker laughs, leading to more hits from Batman. The Joker only responds with more laughter. As Batman pins him against the wall, the Joker tells Batman to say it. He wants to hear the words. Give me my birthday present. The present, Joker responds, is him. And together, he and Batman will be doing this forever. So what do we think about Many Happy Returns? This was one of my least favorite 
on a preference level. The writing's fine. The art is fine. It's not my cup of tea. But this one just gave me so much anxiety. I mean, there's just no way. There's no way that that one Joker could do this every month with all his planning and evilness and doing stuff and all these other books. There's just no way he could do this. And poor Batman, like if this was his life, he would have gone crazy forever ago. Like no one could live like this. This is this is emotional abuse on a just ridiculous level. That's so, why that last panel looked the way it was. I know, I know, but I felt Batman's crazy by the end of this. And I think, and it's, I just, I didn't like being played with that way. But that means it was well-written. It means it was a good story. It just, I resent the story for making me feel that way. So it was, and certain things, I mean, Joker is icky. But one thing I know that you guys will probably take off on is, is, the the pushing of Joker feeling romantically for Batman or at least toying with the idea or or flaunting it or I don't know what he's doing. He's crazy. Stop spoiling. I'm sorry. But that I I thought that was icky too. Like when he's wearing the the sash, the banner of or is it happy birthday lover or something. It's just but anyway, my main takeaway was I felt severe anxiety by the end, and I I had to take a small break. And, blech. <laughs> this was a really fun story. I I, I really enjoyed it. Um, the art was great. I loved a lot of the homages that we saw on some of the panels, particularly uh, Batman eighty nine with the Prince Joker on the float. Uh, you know, from the old Bat Dance video, that was absolutely great seeing that. But this was a fun story to see Fraction write a story where the Joker basically plays Batman. And ha- by the end of the story, has Batman acting like a little child to where he's begging for this present. I was just like, did I just read that? And I actually had to read it a second time to see that was how it was done. It was just you know, where is it? I want it. I want it. Where is my present? And I'm just falling out laughing. And by the time I, I it, it, it hits me. So it was a really fun story. I know it may not be the cup of tea for everybody, but I truly enjoyed it. And this is for, for someone who is new to a lot of stuff that Matt Fraction writes. Uh, but I've been, been enjoying his stuff thus far. And I, I really enjoyed this story. I didn't really enjoy this story. I thought it was well-constructed and especially well-drawn by Chip Zdarsky, who I actually think has become quite a good writer of his own right recently. But Fraction has always had two sort of parts to his writing. One's the sort of melancholy Ed Brubaker student that he used to be, and one's the madcap, off-the-wall, sort of Dave McKean, but in writing type of writing. And I don't enjoy the latter there were issues of his hawk oh shoot hawkeye for marvel where it was like from the perspective of the dog which is clever but i don't think you needed a whole perspective issue of that um this story in addition to highlighting what steph mentioned about just the sheer anxiety of the joker killing and torturing people because of his obsession with batman 
um, which I mentioned back when Peter Tomasi did the very effective carnival issue where the Joker takes a whole carnival hostage uh, for Batman. Um, I do not like uh, the idea of Batman and Joker being in a relationship. Um, as I mentioned on our uh, episode 300 spectacular, this is my no TP and um, fraction joking about none that. Of us do. What? No, none of us do. Yeah. And fraction joking about that. Just, it turns me off really, really hard. So I, this is clearly not a continuity story because the idea that Joker is actually able to send a present to Batman every month for 22 years I mean, he's in jail or he's, you know, in a, a foreign country doing evil plots for years on end. So this is clearly not supposed to be taken seriously. It's just sort of a, a joke story similar to some things. But I just think that the joke wasn't really worth it for me. Moving on to story number four. Rookie, written by Greg Rucka, artist Eduardo Riso. Lynn Baker goes through the required steps to enter the next class of the GCPD Police Academy. Once in, she quickly learns that all isn't as it should be and that some of her fellow cadets have a different understanding of the term to protect and serve. She witnesses the bribery and cheating just to get through completion of her training. Yet, she still believes in what she feels she's called to do. Things don't change for Lynn as she becomes a beat cop. Her field training officer serves as a carrier for the Penguin. She feels she does the right thing in bringing matters to her superior, but quickly learns that her fellow officers do not like a snitch, and they express their displeasure in her actions. Lynn continues on the up and up, even as she once again sees her fellow officers planting evidence. She tells the detectives of the major crimes unit what she witnessed. This is the final straw, and the rogue cops look to tie up loose ends by taking out Baker and the detectives at her side. As shots fire, Batman swoops in, taking out the evildoers while saving the other three officers from their demise. As the arrested officers are taken away, Lynn hears someone calling her name. It's Commissioner Gordon. He and Batman have been keeping a close eye on her since she left the Academy, and they think she would be a great fit as a member of the GCPD Major Crimes Unit. So what do we think of Rookie? This was one of my favorites. I liked that some of these stories uh, didn't focus on Batman. It is detective comics. And so this one focused on someone who wanted to be a detective, someone who wanted to be a police officer. And I think especially, especially with our current environment, <laughs> I know we don't talk about current events really at all on this show, but just with all, all the stuff going on, just seeing a story about someone who wants to do good. And, you know, you can even imagine that there are so many cops that they want to do what's right and just how hard it is. Like, I've I've read stories of of just police officers who went in naive and wanting to save the world, which is such a wonderful thing for you, anyone to want to do and to be willing to put their lives on the line for it. And then to just be in a saturated evil environment like we think that the gotham pd is just so awful it's like it's probably not that far off from some precincts out there i'm not saying all cops are 
you know, not even touch that button. But (laughs) there are there are some places where where this is the environment and for someone to just well, I mean, struggle and it, i i've mentioned it, before i love the wire and if you watch the wire which is very heavily researched there's a corrosive environment in yeah. in the baltimore police department at the very least and so i think and it's very plausible it is and and so just seeing her want to do what's right and just stand up for it even when she's being harassed even when she's being surrounded by evil and it's not going to get easier like it's kind of a bittersweet ending it's like yes she's going to be under management that we trust and we know isn't corrupt but she's still going to be surrounded by these people every day she's still going to be surrounded by the ones that are still friends with the cops that were put away because of her so not because they made bad choices not because they're disappointing their moms but because of her right so it's it's bittersweet and I think it's a story that needed needs to be told, I think. And it's sad, but I think the realism and just her tenacity and her wanting to do what's right. It's finally seeing someone who's not Batman <laughs> wanting to do what's right. Um, and, and someone on the GCPD who wants to do what's right. And I just, it made me not happy, but it was definitely one of my more favorite stories. Of the issue. So just to get my my current events comment out of the way, make no mistake, this plot by Rucker, you know, was intentional. There's a reason Lynn is the character that she is. You know, he, he, he is making a point, and I think Steph touched upon a lot of it, but I think everything about the setup of the story uh, was very intentional. That being said, I absolutely love this story. This 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 story made me miss those days of Greg Rucker on Detective Comics, uh, even when he was doing his legacy arc with Batwoman. Uh, he he was pretty wonderful. Um, this also had somewhat of a Gotham Central feel to it. Absolutely. Partic- particularly because y- you saw very little of Batman. You know, mm-hmm. Batman but was But you also always... saw Renee Montoya and uh, Chris... Oh, shoot, what's his name? The, her partner. Uh, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, the, her partner throughout Gotham Central. Like, it's so Gotham Central, it, it hurts. Yeah, it, this 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 was something that could have easily been in the pages of Gotham Central, and Christmas I Allen, I think that's it. his name. Yes, uh, absolutely loved it. And so, you know, if if Rucker ever comes back to Batman, you, you will not hear anything but complete tears of joy uh, from from this from this fan here. Um, I absolutely enjoyed this one. This was a very good story. It was an excellent story. I admit I was a little worried when I heard that Eduardo Riso was on the art because I've had, um, I haven't been a huge fan of his in the past, but he does a, a very serviceable job here. It's a good looking story. And Rucka, as usual, writes deeply moving. I mean, he's got a very poetic tone a very noir tone he does that great 
hard-boiled detective feel to his prose, but he also has that modern political edge to it that I think is, uh, even when I don't agree with it, and I mostly agree with it here, uh, but there are times when, like in his Lois Lane, that I didn't agree with it. I found it compelling. He's always someone who makes it interesting, even when you disagree with what he's saying. This is definitely a highlight of the issue for me, although um, there's a lot of highlights. So I think it stands out and is an excellent story. Moving on to story number five, Ghost Story by James Tynan IV and artist Riley Rosmo. Batman and Robin stand on top of a Gotham church looking down at a cemetery full of ghosts. Flying next to them is Boston Brand, a.k.a. Deadman. He came to them for assistance as a villain by the name of Spectre. Collector is using special gloves that allow him to eat the souls of the dead that have not entered their final spiritual resting place. Brand convinces Batman to let him possess his body so they can defeat their foe together. As they descend under the old church, Robin stands guard. We're met with flashbacks of a young Bruce Wayne talking to his mom about the existence of ghosts in the world. He asks her if she will become one when she dies. Back in the present, Spectre Collector is wandering the built-in prison, and he begins devouring souls to feed himself. Suddenly, Dead Bat pounces. The Spectre Collector senses that Batman has a spirit within him and uses his spectral gauntlet to pull Dead Man from Batman's body. As the villain moves in to consume the spirited hero, Batman attacks, knocking him out and saving Dead Man from a demise. As Bruce reconfigures the gloves taken from the Spectre Collector to release the bounded souls to the afterlife, Deadman asks Batman why he never appears afraid of ghosts. Bruce responds by referencing the conversation with his mother many years ago. From that experience, he doesn't see ghosts as scary. So what do we think of Ghost Story? This one was another cute one, as long as much as ghosts in cemeteries <laughs> can be cute. But the interaction between, uh, just the little bit of interaction we get between Robin and Batman was uh, definitely like early, early times for Robin. He's not allowed to be doing too much. He's freaked out by the ghost. He stands out guard so he doesn't have to go inside. But uh, I thought it was very cool that that they were able to personalize and and make this one decently emotional, especially at the very end where I think Boston doesn't Boston ask him something like, "Don't you want to know what your parents are? Or your par- where your parents are?" And he's like, "Nah, I'm good. Like, I know where they are." Because He's talked to his mom before she died. And it, it was cute seeing a story that was an action story. And there were, you know, many stakes. <laughs> but it also having so many personal beats between a little bit of Robin and then lots between, you know, Bruce and his mom. So it was it was a sweet, sweet character story about about Bruce. And I I thought it was a good, good little story. The art was bonkers <laughs> i know who's the artist is not it's not my favorite Riley but Rusmo. Riley he's in like Rusmo. every anthology yeah it's it's a little bizarre but it was a good story and i think it it worked for for a ghost story i, I thought it was good yeah let me let me comment first on the art i'm i'm typically not a rosmo fan um you know kind of like steph said it's a little bit wild but i think for what we were getting with the story, it fits. Uh, you know, it that 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 stylized look with the spirits fits. You know, his 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 art style. So I, I was okay with that. 
And, and I also want to thank Steph because I was trying to find that word that described how I felt about this particular story. And she's right. It's cute. It, it's, <laughs> it's, a cute it's a cute, funny story that, that has that has some points that are quite touching, uh, particularly those between uh, young Bruce and Martha. Um, so it was, it was, it was cute. It was fun. Uh, kudos for having Robin in the pixie boots. Uh, <laughs> so it was nice seeing that again. So we, we do know that these are the old uh, Batman uh, Dick and Dick Grayson Robin days. So that was, that was fun to see. I'm not a huge fan of ghost stories, um, especially with Batman. The supernatural plot line in Batman Eternal is my least favorite part of that arc, even though I do love Batman Eternal. I just, I prefer Batman in the sort of rationalistic Sherlock Holmes or Philip Marlowe hard-boiled detective rather than in the, the horror realm. And I know that horror is a big thing for, for Batman um, just because of the, the animal and his villains are often very horrific, but to me, they, they feel like a more grounded re, uh, horror than the kind of you know, supernatural type thing that we see here. I don't really have a connection to dead man. So that didn't really do much for me. I did really like the connection with, um, Bruce's mother, Martha. Um, why did you say that name? Uh, I, Tynan does a good job with Bruce and his parents. He did a great issue at the end of the new 52 uh, Batman number 52, where he, he talks where he shows Batman in relationship with uh, Leslie and Alfred and his parents. And it was very moving. I think this is also quite nicely done emotionally. Um, so it's kind of a mix for me, but overall um, I thought it was good. Uh, let's move to story. Number six, four, four written by Kelly through the Art by John Romita Jr. It's the middle of the night and pouring rain at the East Lake Harbor Golf Resort as Bruce Wayne meets his host, Mr. Steele, for a round of golf. He uses the game to do a deep dive and learn about the people he wants to do business with. Steele wants to buy some land that Bruce owns. Bruce, however, is not looking to make a deal. Still criticizes Bruce for who he feels he is as a man, not knowing the life of the individual the world knows as Batman. Still begins to criticize Bruce for turning down his offer. He feels people like them, or more precisely him, should take advantage of their wealth and power. He boasts about the politicians and the GCPD officers he has paid to be in his back pocket for use. He threatens Bruce to not make an enemy of him. Bruce, however, turns the tables on Steel. He calls Steel stupid for lying and cheating, as well as standing in the rainstorm with metal clubs. He then asks Jim, as in Jim Gordon, if he has enough. Seeing that he's been set up, Steel attempts to leave as the GCPD approaches. Bruce stops him, however, by flinging one of the clubs at Steele's fleeing legs. As the police take Steele away, Bruce heads to work as the sun rises above the city. So what do we think about four? 
I loved this story. I like that we finally got Bruce Wayne helping out Batman, which we don't get to see enough of and we complain about sometimes. So I was very excited to see him in action. Uh, The art was great. I like the art. I mean, faces were a little weird, but uh, I did like this artist and I like the colors. I loved that Bruce had that floating umbrella. <laughs> thought that was hilarious and something only a billionaire would have. That was and, obviously that was obviously a suggestion from uh, JT for the latest bat tech. Gadget of the month of the week. Uh, so, and I liked that that uh, even though Bruce Wayne does things the the Bruce Wayne way, he still at the end is able to use his his uh, battering throw golf club <laughs> and take steel out. So I thought this was a fun story. I thought this was a good use of Bruce Wayne. Uh, I just thought it was a great detective story, and I just enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, this was this was a this was a very good story. I truly enjoyed it. Um, as Steph mentioned, as we've mentioned plenty of times, you know, when we get these stories where the focus is on Bruce and and not the man in the cow, uh, you know, that 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 adds to the enjoyment. And here it is: we have an issue where you know the only the only mentions of Batman are the flashbacks of him uh, raiding the 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 GCPD. Uh, this was a this was a very good written story, but for me, this is another example of of a story that can be ruined by the art. And I am not a fan of today's John Romita Jr. I was a fan of John Romita Jr., but right now, I mean. You know, Steph mentioned it before. Some of these foreheads have, you know, Bruce and still looking like Cro-Magnons, you know, and that's not good art. I'm, I'm not, I am not a fan of, of how JRJR draws today. And I know a lot of people feel the same, uh, particularly what he's doing on action. Uh, so, I love the the plotting of the story. The art was a complete turnoff, though. Sorry. I I think the art is again. It's sort of like Bendis writing, <laughs> and not coincidentally, Bendis and JRJR do a lot of collaboration together, which means they're even more polarizing. I really like the writing of the story. I thought it was clever. Um, I think it's a little classic in that I've seen stories like this before, but that doesn't mean I don't like it here. I think DeConnick would make a good detective comics writer if this is the kind of thing she did. Um, it doesn't really sort of provoke a lot of deeper thought, but I, I enjoyed it. Story number seven, Odyssey. Number seven, Odyssey, written by Marv Wolfman and artist Emanuela Lupicino. Lupicino. It's 1937, and Patrick Wayne is setting course with passengers and works of art aboard the new cruise ship, the Odyssey. As the passengers look in amazement, Wayne states that he has to leave in order to return home as his wife is giving birth to their newest member of the Wayne family, a son named Thomas. As the Odyssey passengers dance the evening away, a distress call comes in from a plane heading to the ship's 
in the ship's direction. It warns the ship to move if it can, as it has lost control and can no longer steer itself. The plane slams into the Odyssey. This is at least how the story is told by Bruce Wayne, who's telling the story as a guest on a popular podcast. Everything was considered lost at sea, but now, for the first time, when technology may have located the wreckage of the Odyssey. Bruce and his podcast hosts of Detectives are going deep-sea diving to see if the ship and all the missing works of art is there. As they prepare to dive, Bruce says that he's going to stay aboard the ship as he's not feeling well. As the divers depart under the waves of the ocean, Bruce begins talking on his comm link as he searches the rooms. Below, the divers find what was once the Wayne Trek Odyssey. They split up and search the different areas. They quickly realize that something isn't right with the accepted story of the Odyssey's demise. Suddenly, one of the divers attacks another, grabs an item, and heads back to the boat to take care of the sick Bruce Wayne. He's met by Batman, however, who, with some assistance, is able to take the goon down. After cleaning some things up, the treasure hunters realize that they have more searching to do. So what do we think about Odyssey? I like stories that bring up history and have an old, like a cold case to solve, especially in this case where they didn't realize it was a cold case. Uh, There's the mystery of the plane actually not crashing. Because there's a bunch of of, uh, these detective co-host, podcast co-host, whatever, uh, do a bunch of analyzing down under the water and figure out that the ship didn't or the plane didn't crash and that they... Whoever got on the boat killed everyone on the boat and stole the the um, art that had belonged to the Jews. Uh, I guess it was World War II stolen art that was going to be returned, but got stolen before it could get returned. And I don't know. It was a cool mix of history. And um, I mean, obviously, it was a little. I don't know. Maybe not obviously, but I didn't like that the poor girl gets kachunked under the water in the back of the head with a wrench and she ends up being okay <laughs> when she's underwater deep sea diving. But whatever. But I just thought it was a cool little story. It's my kind of mystery, even though it was obviously very, very short. Not too much to say about it, but I liked, I really liked the art in this one. And I liked the mystery and I like that it kind of has a little bit of a cliffhanger ending. It's not, you know, the story's not over and. I just like that. Yeah, I, I, the story wasn't bad. It wasn't great either. It was just kind of there for me. Lose me um, again? Huh? Yeah. It, 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 it. You know, there was nothing special about it. Um, the art was really good, um, and you know, I do, I do like that we got an ending without an ending, and and knowing that this is a story that could continue on someday if they chose to do so but it it, it, it for me it was it was just there it wasn't it wasn't a great story but it wasn't a bad story either i tend to agree i'm a huge emanuela lupacino fan so i love the art here i think that um there was a little bit of messiness in the plotting um like it's a good idea but it's I don't understand how um, Thomas could be born in 1937 because that would make him just enormously old when he had Bruce. Um, So I know it's sort of a, this is probably supposed to be when Batman was Batman in the 1980s. So it wouldn't be that old, but it still just feels so, so long ago. 
Um, but if we accept the sliding time scale, um, it's fun. And I like the addition of the lore that Patrick and his wife are the parents of Thomas. Uh, that's always, it's actually been kind of confusing. We haven't really seen a lot about Bruce's grandparents on either side. Um, they've kind of left his extended family outside of Jacob and Kate and Betty, who is a cousin, but we don't know exactly how she's a cousin to Bruce. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's some things that I like to think about here. It's a fun enough story, but it doesn't really stand out except for the art by Emmanuel Allen Pacino. Uh, moving on to story number eight, Detective 26 by Grant Morrison, artist Chris Burnham. The Silver Ghost stands to protect the city of Gotham from evildoers. Who is the Silver Ghost? He's the private investigator who feels he needs to do more to stop the Gotham underworld from taking over the city. The Silver Ghost must protect the poor as he promised to as a young boy. Everything was in place for the Ghost to make his debut in Gotham. He had a great name, a good-looking car, and a wonderful costume. He was also putting together a top-notch crime lab to do all his scientific work. Who could possibly do a better job of protecting Gotham? Who would be willing to take on the evildoers of Gotham if not the Silver Ghost? The Batman would. The end. <laughs> so, uh, I was trying to do sort of an old-time radio serial voice for that because it very much felt like... That looks pretty damn good. <laughs> um, so, what do we think of Detective 27? I have a mixed feelings about this one because it was kind of a cute story and it really reminded me of um, uh, whatever whatever Bruce's hero was in the animated series, the Silver the Gray, the gray Ghost. ghost. Well, the Gray Ghost, yeah. Um, Silver Spectre, same thing. Um, but then at the end, he's just a tool. <laughs> it's like, well, if I can't be popular, I don't want to do it. It's like, what? Like, what was your motivation to do it in the first place? It was it for the honor and the recognition? It's like, whatever, dude. So I was a little disappointed that someone that was worked up to be such a hero ended up being just an attention-seeking tool. So I was a little let down by the ending. But it was a fun, it was f mostly fun. But yeah, in the end, kind of the whole balloon deflated and I was unhappy. <laughs> Yeah, for me, this was my most disappointing story as well. Um, for me, however, it wasn't... I understand what Morrison was attempting to do with with just creating this plot tool uh, to introduce Batman uh, in Detective 27, since we... since the Silver Ghost is supposed to be Detective number 26. Um, oh, <clears throat> so, uh, I didn't get that part. Yeah, I, yeah I, I I understand what Morrison was doing, but what made it disappointing for me is because it was Grant Morrison. When you get a Grant Morrison story, I was I was just looking for something spectacular. You know, this is this is the guy that that did Batman Incorporated. This is the guy that did you know who brought Damien into Batman's continuity. You know, this is the guy that, that gave us the great season one of Green Lantern. And I didn't get that, you know, from detective number 26. You know, I just got a guy who was a plot tool that leads to Batman's debut. And then the story's over. 
and I didn't I didn't want that. You know, again, these are story, but I didn't I did not want that from from Grant Morrison. And the fact that we did was quite disappointing. I'm kind of in the same boat with you, you folk. Um, I kind of see what Morrison's doing, and I actually have a friend who just re- is he's actually currently reading Super Gods by Grant Morrison, so he really loves the meta commentary that parallels what what Grant Morrison was saying about superheroes in Super Gods in this story. So, I mean, it's clearly something Grant Morrison's very interested in, and I don't begrudge him his passion. But when I think about, I'm not the world's biggest Grant Morrison fan. However, I think Batman Incorporated is just fantastic. It's the most excited I've ever been about Batman until Tom King wrote the Batman Catwoman saga in his run. I love the idea of Batman empowering and inspiring characters of all different colors, all different genders, all different backgrounds, all different nations. Like everyone can be Batman. That was so exciting to me and I loved it. And you know, there was that Batman Incorporated special at the end of the run in the New 52 where you had stories about all the little Batman, you know, the Japanese Batman and the Man of Bats and like all these things. And I think he could have done another Batman Incorporated story about a Batman in a different world or a different country or something. Or he could have done another story with Damien as Batman, you know, the 666 Batman, which was really creepy and dark and like very exciting. There's so many things that he could have done that I would have been really excited about. But this this is sort of meta-commentary, and it doesn't have a connection to me as a character. And it has a funny twist, and it has that classic feeling, and Chris Burnham draws his heart out. It's really well done in terms of art. But I, I just feel like there were so many things that I, I wish Morrison had done, and he didn't. And that's kind of on me. Um, Morrison can write what he wants to write, but I feel like he had so much richness in his Batman run that he could have teased out in in a different way and this just doesn't do much for me um and i'm glad for don't, people like my friend who did like it but it just didn't do much for me don't don't feel down we we all feel the same way so it's it's, it's obviously morrison's fault <laughs> well let's move on to story nine legacy legacy written by tom king art by walt simonson on the Gotham bridge Batman prepares to battle Dr. Phosphorus in a final final battle. Phosphorus is dying of cancer, and he's threatened to go nuclear on Gotham if Batman doesn't fight him alone, one-on-one. No gadgets, no armor. Flash forward, and we find a lying man, a man lying in bed ill, his loved one at his side. As the battle rages on, Phosphorus tells Batman that he's going to die, even if he wins the current battle. His power has gotten stronger, and as Batman continues to battle him, the hero is slowly being poisoned by Phosphorus radiation. Fast forward again, and we find the man, an older Bruce Wayne, gives Selina one last smile as he continues to fade. Back to the battle, Batman continues to fight with great resolve. As the battle comes to an end, they fall into the Gotham River. Phosphorus tells Batman that he's finally realized that his life had meant something. It's meant Batman's death. Ignoring him, Batman tells the man once known as Dr. Alexandra Sartorius that there's a cancer program that could save him. 
Batman understands he's going to die. But he also hopes that if Dr. Phosphorus lives, he remembers that there was, there was at least one person that cared enough for him to want to see him live. So what do we think about legacy? Well, okay. So my first thought was I didn't know who the woman was because this is a Tom King story. So if that was Bruce Wayne dying in bed, wouldn't his death scene be the same as we've already seen where his whole family was there? Yeah, so I, was, could... I was confused about that too because this doesn't seem to match with the annual, you know? And her hair is just, oh my gosh, I can't even talk about her bangs without getting angry like selena would never have hair that ugly i don't care what year it is and how far in the future this is and what fashion is that is ugly hair there's ugly bang there's an ugly fringe the only reason that i figured out that was selena this is a black cat in the background and a white cat next to next to bruce so that's the only reason because i was like oh selena you let your hair go <laughs> anyway that's my girly on this one <laughs> but other than that it was definitely a tom king story now i have a question i don't know too much about dr phosphorus is this how he fights like he fights you and then in 40 years you die of cancer is that is that his stick i don't know the only other dr phosphorus story i really remember is in stephanie's batgirl run when dr phosphorus fights dick and dick doesn't seem to worry about getting cancer so <laughs> I have no idea. Well, 40 years, we'll find out, right? <laughs> I mean, they're never going to let characters age that much, so it's kind of irrelevant. Yeah, but, so I thought that was a little silly for a bad guy. It's like, in 40 years, you'll be dead of what am I did. It's like, well, yeah, but he'll probably be dead anyway from being Batman. But anyway, it was definitely a Tom King story. It was definitely more cerebral than physical it wasn't you know it was a fight but it was more about you know uh uh metaphysical <laughs> if that's the right word uh more of a, a metaphor but it's 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 more about like like the story says it's about the legacy who is batman when all is said and done and i thought it was it was a cool discussion it it was it was more than a letter <laughs> Sliced over pinup pictures, which I appreciated, <laughs> even though there's no significance to seeing the fight and nothing really happens in the death scene. I mean, it's just Selena holding his hand and watching him die. The halo confused the crap out of me. The only reason I, I figured out what the halo was, it's the same color as Dr. Phosphorus. So I'm guessing it's some kind of cancerous glow because it definitely looks more like a Catholic painting of a saint or something with a halo around his head but uh, so i i i wasn't my favorite i wish it was my favorite because it's definitely the only one with selena actively in it other than the tomasi story where she's got a little screenshot and some flashbacks but it was it was fine it was very fine it was good <laughs> tom king has a thing for killing Batman. I don't, I, so this is this is the third time that Bruce has uh, bit the bullet and met his maker, even if brief briefly. So uh, Poison Ivy had Superman kill him during uh, 
the main Batman run. Uh, he died, of course, at the end of the second annual, which was, you know, still the the allergy from hell for me. Uh, and then this issue. So he got a fetish for death, and I'm not sure I I am okay with that, especially since he's constantly killing off the Cape Crusader. So, but other than that, this was a this was a a good story that highlights everything that we know about Batman. You know, he is someone who is willing to again give his life to save Gotham City. And, you know, he knew he was going to die. He, he he knew that being exposed to the radiation from phosphorus was going to do him in, but yet to save the city uh, from, from meeting its end, he was willing to do that. But it also showed, you know, that, that what, one of the things that make Batman who he is compared to a Jason Todd Force, for example, or some of the other vigilantes that we have seen throughout Gotham, is that you know he feels that every villain can be saved, and you know despite everything that's going on, you know he's willing to help Phosphorus cure his cancer, um, and and. That is that is a characteristic trait that is exclusive to Batman, and you know he he spreads it out to the rest of the Bat family. But that's that's something that is pure to to Bruce, and that you know he he feels that anyone that's that's in the Rogues Gallery, including the Joker, can be saved at some point in time. My reaction to the story is similar to Steph's. I don't understand how this fits with the annual, annual number two in Tom King's main Batman run. I do really like Walt Simonson's art, and I don't know, I didn't really mind Selina's Fringe, except for the fact that it does not at all match with what Selina looks like, both in the Catwoman 80th anniversary story with art by Mikel Janine, and in the annual with art by uh, Michael Lark which has a, a Selena with short hair, similar to how she has short hair now. So this is a long-haired Selena. Um, I don't know. I, I, maybe it was a choice by Walt Simonson. I think that does actually look like Louise Simonson, his wife. Um, so maybe that's just sort of the love story that he wanted to, to really reference as his own love story with his wife, which is one of the famous ones in comics. So I don't begrudge him that. It just feels weird after so many little pieces that Tom King's been doing, trying to set up Batman Catwoman, I don't, it just feels off. It doesn't feel like it fits. Um, yeah. It wouldn't bother me as much if it hadn't been Tom King, who's literally shown us this scene before. And it's totally different. But anyway, as the story itself, just, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, I, I don't know. I, even as the, at no point did I think about Annual 2 as I was reading this. And, and I know both of you did, but I, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't expecting it to be tied to Annual 2. Um, but maybe that's just me. I'm a weird person. 
No, I mean, I think Tom King kind of wanted the story to be read by itself, but also with pieces that tie to Bat-Cat, and it's those pieces that tie that I'm a little confused by. Um, but I don't know. It. I was a little disappointed just because I'm so excited about Batman Catwoman, and I really loved the uh, Catwoman story that he did that was also tied to Bat-Cat. Um, so I was hoping for another story that sort of made me sort of really emotional and stuff. And this one just sort of was like, well, that's, that's a decent Batman story. Let's move on to As Always by Scott Snyder. Story number 10, As Always, written by Scott Snyder and art by Ivan Reese. Rice. Storage. Anyway, Jim Gordon reflects on his time standing at the bat signal and how, as always, Batman answers until the sun comes up. He thinks further of how Batman, as always, all bad guys are the same in that bad guys do bad guy things. As Batman and the Justice League face a global ending event, the disappearance of the sun, the grisly police commissioner imagines the conversation among the heroes and Batman's role in protecting the planet and his city. Days later, Batman returns to Gotham with plans to save the world. Gordon asks Batman what the contraption is. Batman simply smiles and turns on the bat signal. So what do you think of As Always? Well, I was very surprised that this was a Snyder story because I didn't hate it. <laughs> um, I love the point of view. It's not from the hero's point of view. Well, it's not from the titular hero's point of view. It's from the people that are left waiting on Batman to figure things out. And when Batman goes off to do his Justice League stuff back on Earth or wherever, we don't know what we as as the people left in Gotham wouldn't know what he was up to. So I thought it was an interesting thing from uh, Gordon's point of view, but Gordon knows him well enough to kind of guess at what he's doing. Uh, the only part I didn't really like about this story was the end. It's like, why are you bringing your Earth saving plans to Gordon? I don't understand what's Gordon going to do for you. <laughs> um, unless he just wanted to share with him. Hey, can I figure it out how to save the world? Aren't you proud of me? I don't know. So the ending was a little strange to me, just as whatever. But it was a cool Gordon story. And I think it was an interesting point of view. And when you're not telling, like I said, all, all these stories aren't beginning, middle, end stories. These are a moment in the life. And this one's a moment in the life of Gordon instead of Batman. And I just, I appreciate the point of view. I think that this is a good length. So this wouldn't, I don't think it would be a very interesting full length issue. <laughs> but as a, as a, just a little anthology story, I think this is a story that at least I don't think I've ever seen. And I appreciate it. And I, I, the art was great. The art was full of action and really well done. Batman's a little needs to shave but other than that you know it's a good story so i'm gonna take some of the hate from stuff that she didn't have for this <laughs> scott snyder story and i'm gonna add it to mine I did not I, I did not like the story um again we get another snyder story where the ending really isn't an ending i mean unless you're telling me that turning on the bat signal is going to be the the thing that saves the planet and, and, and brings the sun back or whatever it is that was on those blueprints, uh, which I'm pretty sure it's not. Um, uh, again, and, and again, part of it is my bias against Snyder's style, um, but we get 
evidence of it again, where you get to the end of the, the story and it's not really over because you don't know what is going to save the planet. And you would think that they would want us to know. I know I would want to know as a, as a, as a reader. Um, yeah. Hated the writing. Absolutely loved the art. Yvonne Reese can draw anything and I would read it as long as two certain writers aren't on it. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of where I am. I, I just, it wasn't a good story for me. I'm actually very much in agreement with Theo on this one. I um, I just reread The Black Mirror. And I think that's the, the second best Batman story that's been published. The first for me is um, Year One. And I see the core... I mean, Snyder clearly has a, an affection for, for Jim Gordon because Black Mirror and Super Heavy are both focused around Jim Gordon. And so I liked that he returned to that here. But he didn't tell a complete story. And that really bothers me because it's the thing he's been doing. He, he's Even in his big stories, I mean, Metal, yes, they beat the bad guys, but then the, 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 the last few pages of the story are, and here's the next adventure. And I'm just like, let someone else tell the next adventure end your story you know i i just i i want him to figure out structuring better because he doesn't seem to be able to come to conclusions so much as either stopping points or keep going points um i completely agree with both of you Evan rice is just phenomenal great art here um i'm glad the story's here just for the art i just i expected the story to be like this but i was disappointed that it didn't i, I keep waiting for another black mirror and i really want one but, you wanted it to end. Yeah. I think my mentality going into this was that none of these were had an ending. Like, I guess that was the no, concern. No, I mean, the Bendis story has an ending, and the Deconic story has an ending, and the Fraction story has an ending. Um, I think a lot of them have endings. Um, I, I just think Scott Snyder is not a good short story writer. At least not this short. So I'm going to move on to Generations Fractured, Story 11, written and drawn by Dan Jurgens. It's Halloween night when Batman arrives at Gotham Museum to find goons dressed as ghouls attempting to steal works of art from it. One by one, Batman dispatches the assailants while determining the whereabouts of the mastermind of the heist, Calendar Man. He finds him in the one place he wishes he didn't, the Wayne Family Gallery. Calendar Man is there with a torch and intends to burn everything in this wing of the museum. Batman pounces and takes down Calendar Man before turning his attention to putting out the fire. As he reaches for an extinguisher, there's a flash of light. Time fractures and reforms. The Bat-Man, Bat-Dash-Man, stands looking around the museum but sees no sign of a fire. It must have been a false alarm. As he leaves and heads to his red sedan, he's met with another flash of light. Standing before him is Commandy. He's been sent to summon Bruce's assistance in saving the time. A voice in Commandy's gauntlet reminds him that the Bruce Wayne of this timeline has only been wearing the cowl for a few days. After some further explanation, guided by the old man talking to Commandy, Booster, as in Booster Gold, the two leave to find the rest of the team. So what do we think of Generations Fractured? This one threw me off. I didn't get it. Um, I actually found some comments online just to find out that this was a, a, a story that's going to be continued. It's the first part of a story. 
So, of the generation story that we talked about in the news. Oh yeah, I forget. <laughs> I don't know. It's not my type of story. I don't know. It just seems weird. I'm not a big fan of old Batman, so that cowl is just unfortunate. And I mean, it could be a good story. Maybe it would be well told. I was not drawn into it from this tidbit. And I think just because so much focus was on on Calendar Man and his thing, then suddenly that's not what the story is at all about. And then there was so little time they could dedicate to what the story really was about. I don't know. It just moved too fast for me at the end, and I, if it was supposed to make me excited, it didn't. If there was, if there was ever such a story that wouldn't or shouldn't have an ending, it's something like this. You know, something that that's leading into an event of sorts. Um, I will admit that I was caught off guard when you know you 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 turn the page from uh, Bruce Batman attempting to put out the fire with the fire extinguisher to Bruce the Batman uh standing there with the funny gloves and the pointy cowl and him walking out to the red sedan of the 1940s, 1939, sorry, 1940s. Um, so that was that was interesting. Uh, I I am excited to see what this story is going to be about. Um, it, it feels weird that it is not going to be an event, and that they're going to consider these these issues that we're going to get, you know, one shots of sorts. Um, that's going to be interesting to see how they handle that. Um, I'm also going to say that if if there are few individuals who can draw and write a book at the same time, and and Dan Jurgens has always been one of those individuals, and uh, I, I definitely loved what he did from a from an artistic standpoint. Um, so I am. I am excited to see what we get in generations. So bring it on. I think it's kind of cool. Um, I definitely agree that Dan Jurgens is consistently fun and also is a very good artist. So seeing him do those two together is always a really cool thing. I don't really have a reaction to the story itself, though, because it's, you know, sort of to be continued. So I guess when Generations comes out in... Um, December, we'll have a better idea of how this story fits together. Uh, I think it is cool to see another Grant Morrison show showed um, Bat Dash Man, but it's nice to see Bat Dash Man again here too, sort of really playing into that legacy or history aspect of this issue. Um, story number 12. A GIF. Written by Mariko Tamaki. Art by Dan Moore. Bruce sits in a room at the Home Sweet Home Hotel looking over his remaining gear, thinking about the events of the last few days. It's day three of Joker War. He eventually arrives at a record storage facility for Wayne Enterprises and attempts to break in. A silent alarm goes off, grabbing the attention of Lucius Fox, who calls the police for assistance. The call for police assistance reaches officers Nakano and Bart and they head for the facility. Batman makes his way into the building, 
As he lands on the floor, it begins to release Joker toxin. Batman was not expecting this, nor some of the other booby traps laid in the building. Batman makes it to the top floor where he's met by the cops, ordering him to stay where he is. As they approach, one of the officers, Bart, steps on the booby trap, activating the Joker's laugh, followed by several blasts. Bart is killed. Batman is able to save Nakano before fleeing the building. Nakano finds the charred body of his partner and promises to make Batman pay for what he's done. Back at the the hotel, Bruce is sitting in thought on the recent events. He holds his black casebook in his hand before tossing it away in frustration. So what do we think of this final story, the a gift? Um well, it's hard How does this fit into Joker War? I think it fits happen- before issue 1. Really? Yeah. Oh, issue 1 of of Joker of War. Joker I think War. it is before 90 is between 94 and 95. You see, it's it's weird because it's weird because if Lucius if Lucius is calling the police, how does not how does Bruce not know where these silent alarms are? If Lucius does, you know what I mean. So I'm I was always wondering where, in fact, this story lies, and we been having several conversations as of late with regards to whether certain issues lie with regards Lucius, to Joker War. Lucius but, is wearing a weird thing and, around his and you can't, face. And you can't, right, and I was going to make that point as well. You can't really tell if this is the Jokerized Lucius who, who knows that these booby traps are there, or if this is just a political statement that Tamaki's putting out there with regards to the pandemic, you don't know. Um, but yeah, I would, I, I would just think because if it's supposed, to, I would think something Lucius is wearing to himself because he was Jokerized, so it would make sense he has to wear something that that is healing and protecting his face. Is my is my thought on that? Um, but more, I I I really love the the conflict. I like that at the end, you don't know what's going to happen, that Batman is in this real spot. I like when Batman underestimates his enemies because it makes things a little more interesting. Batman always having the upper hand and always knowing what's going on is a little bit of a, I don't know, it's boring. So underestimating the Joker, having to flee, I, I like that. I don't know if I like that as part of the Joker War story as an extra thing on top of everything else that's happening. <laughs> so I actually don't like that it's part of Joker War. But I like the story overall and the arts and the colors is is really cool too. I, I really actually really liked the art. I think they really capture his falling apart and his um, just it's not agony and agony is not the word but his despair I guess. I love Dan Moore. So the, the, yeah, the the art is absolutely spectacular. You know, I, I 
I've been reading uh, Once in Future, which is the story for Boom that he's doing with Karen Gillian. And uh, again, the art style is just absolutely beautiful. Um, I enjoyed the story as well. And, you know, Steph mentioned, you know, she doesn't think this really could have been a part of the Joker War. And it, and I agree somewhat, but I think the ultimate the ultimate goal that Tamaki was looking to do was to tie both books together. Because we, we, we know that in Detective, once Joker War is over, uh, Damien's supposed to steal the Black Case book in Detective. And so you you throw in this being day three of Joker War, so now you have the books being in line, which again, you know, I've always enjoyed, you know, when when both of the, the main Batman books, and if not just the two main Batman books, but all of the bat titles to be in uniformity uh, of some sort. And this kind of does that, you know, so it, could it, could it have been outside of Joker war? Probably so. But I think from the aspect of bringing both titles together and in line with one another, uh, Tamaki does a good job in doing that. I thought this story was kind of fun. I did end up being a little bewildered after reading it because it is set up for two things. And I do like Theo really appreciate that they're tying things together. I think Tynan's finally able to get his collaborators to work together where he was struggling at the beginning of Joker war. But this and Catwoman just show that he he's able to communicate and get stuff done uh, on a stronger level than was being done before for about four years and yeah i mean dan mora does a fantastic job i i would say that the art across the board in this um book um is just really cool it, it caters to a lot of different things it doesn't all look the same and it um it really shows the past and the present of dc's uh great art stable so yeah um you gotta you also gotta admit that is impressive considering that this is the same person who gave us Mr. T. Well, I mean, I've been saying that I've enjoyed her writing on Wonder Woman for the last uh, month now, even though I'm really disappointed in the art after Mikkel Janine left. But her writing's been good. Um, so I think this is good. Uh, I'm glad they're finding writers who haven't done a lot of work for them. She's done a lot of work at Marvel, but I think sort of like Sam Humphreys, her stuff at Marvel isn't as, as solid as her stuff as it is, is so far at DC. So I, I am looking forward to stuff from Tamaki. All right, so that brings us to the end of Detective Comics number 1027. What is our overall review out of Detectives? How many Detectives out of five would we give 1027? None of these was, like, blow it out of the water for me but i definitely had a lot less complaints in this one none of the stories i i didn't hate any of the stories uh and the ones that i didn't like they were great crafted they just weren't my cup of tea and you know they're just not a preference so i i i would have to say a very i don't know i don't know what 
Oh, see, it's one of those things where three and a half just doesn't seem very fair and four seems too generous. But I think I'm going to go ahead and give it a four because it is it is a very well-crafted book. And I think every story is worth reading and some are worth reading multiple times. Yes, I gave it a four in my review. Um, of all of the spectacular that we've gotten thus far, and I'm thinking back now to... Action 1000. This is this is probably one of the best, if not the best. I thoroughly enjoyed the overwhelming, overwhelmingly majority of the stories in 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 this issue. So yes, definitely a solid four for me. I'm also going to give it a four. Um, I think I liked Robin 80th better, um, but that's sort of my affinity for Robin. This didn't feature as many characters that I was as connected to, so it doesn't quite get that personal touch that tends to be important to me when I give 4.5s. But it's it's across the board just a beautiful book to look at and consistently enjoyable. So, yeah, that uh, means we don't have to do any math. It's a 4 out of 5. Detectives from all of us. We'd love to hear what you think about this issue particularly. I mean, this is a big issue uh, for the Batman universe. Comment on the most recent episode page at thebatmanuniverse.net, on our Discord server, our Twitter at TBU underscore comics, on Stitcher, or on iTunes, and we'll read your comment on air next time. Uh, we got one piece of listener feedback from Greenlander HG, who answered our question of the week with, who do you want to be Batman who hasn't been Batman already in the comics? And he said that Alfred should be Batman. Now, I personally would discount this, but it is true that Alfred's never been Batman, uh, he's put on the bat suit, uh, both in Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader and in um, I Am Gotham by Tom King. But that doesn't make him Batman. So I, I think it's absolutely fair that Alfred is an awesome character. Our new question of the week is, what was your favorite story from Detective Comics 1027? So we'll answer that now and we'll hopefully get some answers from you guys in the future. Uh, my favorite story was probably the uh, rookie story, just because I just love that it, it starred uh, a female cop and I loved her heart. I loved her, her uh, morality. And it's just so rare nowadays to get a good story about someone who just wants to do the right thing. And so I just really appreciated that story and it was beautifully told. And even though the art's not, my favorite, uh, it still really worked for that story, and and it didn't. I don't think it detracted from the story, so that was definitely my favorite. If it had not been for the Happy Birthday Lover, I would would have been really inclined to say many happy actors, but I'm gonna go ahead with the rookie as well. That was that was a wonderful story that Rucka gave us. Um, I, there's hardly anything that I can I can say that that was that that was wrong in that in that particular story. So I'm gonna go with the rookie as well. I did love the rookie, but I'm gonna go with um, uh, the Bendis and Marquez story, the masterclass, because I have been starved for Batman interacting with the Bat family in a positive way. Now he is interacting with uh, the Bat family well in 
you know, the current Joker war now that he's turned a corner. But that's, it's very brief. And this is a whole story that's devoted to that. And I, I love a good detective story. I love the way that all the characters interact with each other. Um, you have them teasing each other and being affectionate. It's just, I like that stuff. And David Marquez drawing the characters is a dream. It's so beautiful, uh, the way he draws all the characters. So my favorite is going to be the master class. And we'd love to hear what you think. And I'm going to add a little bonus question. What is your favorite of the, the main covers? My favorite is Art Germs with Batman and Batwoman. What about you two? I didn't really like any of them at first. But the more I looked at them, the more I did come to like them. And I think I have to decide that the Lee Bermeo... Berme, I know how to say his name. The Lee Bermejo one was my favorite because I love the combination of of the old Batman and Robin in the background and then just the absolutely gorgeous and detailed and well-done modern Batman and Nightwing in the front. And they're just both great action poses and they're both very exciting. And I, I really like that one. And I decided that Batman Noel was one of my favorite books art-wise. And so I just like seeing his art. If I absolutely positively have to select one, and for me, I think I ended up ordering four of the covers for maybe five for uh, ten twenty-seven. Um, you know, I, I I cannot not go against my boy Damien. So anything that that has him on it is gonna get my attention so that's the frank quietly um yeah that's the frank quietly cover yes but 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 i'm gonna go along with steph that libermejo cover is absolutely beautiful you see in you know past and present and seeing multiple styles that's one of the things i don't typically see in bermejo's art you know I'm, i'm used to seeing his his batman noir so seeing this was 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 absolutely beautiful. So um, I love my boy Damien, but I'm going to go with the uh, Libra Mayo. <clears throat> See, Stephanie's your fault. It's contagious. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the Libra Mayo's cover as well. All right. So let us know what your favorite story and your favorite cover were on TBU or on our Twitter. We'd like to thank our Patreons. You guys help us keep the show uploaded and keep going. So thank you to Gerald Green, Joshua Lappin Bertoni, Rob O, Real No Deuces, Tim Grassi, Robert Lewis, Ian Miller, Stephanie Mouse, Donovan Morgan Grant, Stanton's Grave, Donald Townsend, Ed Grouse, Theodis Wright, Brendan Roberts, Hannah Gar, Captain America, Mary Garrett, Austin Davis, Johnny McCloskey, and Sam Isaac. Thank you all. You are great Bat fans and... For those who aren't Patreons, we do TBU Extras, which are extra reviews. We, you do get to listen to all our bloopers in our raw episodes of TBU pod, uh, Comic Podcast. And you get to see other content. And you can comment as patrons on Patreon to let us know the kinds of things that you'd like us to produce. That wraps us up for Detective Comics 1027. As you may have noticed, we still have one more episode to come this month, and that will be covering Batman number 99 and... Batman, the Joker War Zone one-shot. So look for that at the end of this month. 
We're also going to be releasing an episode of Deceased Cast, where we cover Deceased, A Good Day to Die, and Deceased Unkillable. So check that out, and feel free to comment on any of those things on the Discord, Twitter, or the other places we've named. Thanks for listening. This has been Ian. This is Steph. And this is Dio. And this has been the Batman Universe Comics Podcast. <laughs>